we share this message today that you'll bring to our remembrance exactly what it is the Lord Jesus did for us some 2,000 years ago. And we trust that that will never grow dim within us. And that we'll always be mindful and appreciative of what he did. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark, the 15th chapter and the 25th verse. Mark, the 15th chapter, 25th verse. We're going to read this in the Amplified Bible. Mark, the 15th chapter and the 25th verse. Amplified version says, and it was the third hour, about nine o'clock in the morning, when they crucified him. When they crucified Jesus. Being the Sunday before Easter, when we celebrate his resurrection, it just seemed good to the Spirit of God today to take a bit of time and Review the events of the crucifixion and what led up to it. You know, prior to Jesus being crucified, he had eaten what is known as the Last Supper with his disciples. And of course, Judas leaves them in the midst of that meal to go off to betray Jesus. Eventually, Jesus and his disciples make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, anticipating the events of the cross, sweats, as it were, drops of blood, while his disciples, rather than praying, as he had instructed them to do, sleep nearby. Jesus is then taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, by the Roman soldiers and his disciples flee away. The soldiers take Jesus to Annas, who was a high priest, where one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. And then Annas sent Jesus to Caiaphas, also a high priest, where Jesus appeared before the Sanhedrin. They spit upon his face, they beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Isaiah declared the words of Jesus when he said, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And while this was going on, of course, Peter denies Jesus, as Jesus said he would, three times. And then Jesus appears before Pilate for the first time. Pilate, not wanting to have to deal with the situation, sends Jesus to Herod, where, with his men of war, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. As Jesus, become, as Jesus comes before Pilate the second time, of course, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. Pilate's wife had been dealt with in a dream and she had talked to Pilate and warned him not to do anything harmful to Jesus. Jesus. 
And so Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, to, you know, the crowd, however, wanted Barabbas. They wanted Jesus to be crucified, and so the crowd cries out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And so Barabbas is released to the crowd, and it is decided that Jesus will be crucified. Pilate's soldiers, upwards of 600 of them, the Bible says a garrison, which was approximately anywhere from six, uh, 50 to 600, a garrison, took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered around him. Think of that, upwards of 600 soldiers gathered around Jesus the Bible says they stripped Jesus of his clothes and beat him unmercifully. They put a scarlet robe on his body, a reed in his hand, and a crown of thorns upon Jesus' head. They mocked him, bowing their knees to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They took the reed from his right hand. And struck him on the head and then put his own clothes back on him and led him away, carrying the cross to be crucified. Carrying the cross to be crucified. As Jesus falls under the weight of the cross, Simon of Cyrene is compelled to carry it. As they go along the way, they finally arrive at a mountain called Calvary, also known as Golgotha, or the place of the skull. There Jesus is crucified as his hands and his feet are nailed to that old rugged cross. They gave him sour wine mingled with gall, which was a narcotic painkiller. But Jesus refused it, for he was to bear it all, all that was to be allotted to mankind. The soldiers divide Jesus' garments, casting lots for them. They put a sign over his head, of the accusation written against him, saying, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Two thieves were crucified with him, one on his right hand and another on his left. Those who passed by the cross blasphemed him, shaking their heads, saying, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests also, the Bible says, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Even the thieves who were crucified with him, reviled him with the same thing. As Jesus hung there upon the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, he made seven cries. The first of which he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then, as time goes on, one of the two thieves repents and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus then makes his second cry. And he says, you will be with me 
in paradise. As time goes on, as he hangs there upon the cross, seeing his mother Mary and one of his disciples, John, he says, woman, behold your son. Think of Jesus as he hangs there upon the cross, still concerned about his mother. At that time, he turns the responsibility of his mother over to one of his most beloved disciples and commends her into his care. As time goes on, he cries out yet again and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, I thirst, at which point they put a sponge on a stick and lift it up to him. This time it's a non-narcotic drink and he does partake of it to quench his thirst. He cries out a sixth time and says, it is finished. And then finally, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible says that darkness was upon the land for the last three of the six hours that Jesus hung upon the cross. You see, he went on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning and he hung from nine in the morning till noon as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But at high noon, the Bible says darkness came Upon the land and it was dark from high noon till three in the afternoon, at which point Jesus, I believe in that time, the sins of mankind were laid upon him. And thus God draws the blinds of heaven and turns his back upon sin and judges sin in Christ, thus darkness upon the face of the earth. Hanging there for six hours is the Lamb of God and then bearing our sin as the sin bearer. At approximately three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus yields up his spirit and he dies. The Bible says there was a great earthquake and the rocks were split and the veil of the temple, the Bible says, was torn from the top to the bottom. You see, an earthquake would have caused it to be torn from the bottom to the top. But that veil of that temple was torn from the top to the bottom. I believe it was at the hand of God tearing that, that veil away. Because you see, that veil was there and only the high priest could go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now as a result of what Jesus has done because you see his blood that he shed is greater and more powerful than the blood of the bulls and the goats and the animals of the Old Testament. And you see the high priest could only go into that holy of holies once a year with the blood of animals through that veil. But now as a result of Jesus, the Lamb of God shedding his blood upon that old rugged cross, now God tears that veil. And now not only the high priest can go in, but everyone that repents of their sins and receives Jesus as their Lord and makes him the Lord of their life. Now they can go in any time of the day or night. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And it was dark upon the land and the earth shook. And the Bible says the rocks were split. 
And the events of that day were so moving that the Bible says the centurion, think of it, a leading Roman soldier and the other Roman soldiers and the guards, the Bible says that they were terrified. And they declared truly, as they look at Jesus, they say truly, this was the Son of God. Think of it. Jesus' side was then pierced. Blood and water came forth. His body was placed in the tomb of the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, and then put under strict guard. Had we been there that day, Isaiah the prophet said we would have been astonished and we would have hid our faces. Jesus, the Bible says, Isaiah declares, you can see it in the Amplified Version. He says that Jesus became an object of horror as he hung upon the cross. Isaiah said his face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man's in his form beyond that of the sons of men. An object of horror. Somebody said, oh, if I could have been there that day and could have seen that. Yeah, if you'd have been there that day or if I'd have been there that day, the Bible says that we would have hid our faces because Jesus became an object of horror upon the cross. Unrecognizable as a man. Isaiah further declared, surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You see, God the Father laid on him the sin and sickness of us all. That's why I believe he was unrecognizable as a man. Certainly, certainly what the Roman soldiers did to him is beyond the imagination, beyond what we could could can fathom. But so often we just think of the natural side. And we should. But we must also think what happened to his spirit, to his body. As the punishment for all sin is laid upon him. And then think about this. All sickness and all disease was laid upon Jesus in his body in that one place at that one time. You know what one sickness or one disease can do to a human body? But think about it. Every sickness and every disease at one time, in one place, in one body laid upon him. And he bore in his body our sins, our sickness, our disease, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Every mental malady, every psychological problem was laid upon his mind and he bore 
all of that. Would not take the narcotic painkiller. For he was to bear all of our sin, all of our sickness, all of our disease, all of our mental malady. And that is why Isaiah said that we hid, as it were, our faces from him. An object of horror upon that old rugged cross. Isaiah went on to say, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Think about that. The judgment of Almighty God. God's a good God, folks. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's good. Good, good, good God. And we should preach His goodness. And we should preach His love. And we should tell people about His goodness. And we should tell people about His love. And it's the goodness of God that leads a sinner to repentance. But having said that, you need to also understand something else about God. Something that doesn't get talked about much in this hour. That he is a God of judgment also. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And, and, and I tell you what. I, I stand here today to tell you, I'm afraid of God. I'm scared of him. Somebody said, oh, well, you just don't know him. Now, I'm telling you, if you're not afraid of him, you don't know him. There's so much of the goodness of God has been preached in this hour. And as I said, that's good. But it's, you can get out of balance and out of whack on, on anything. And we need to stay balanced on the Bible. But there's been so much of the goodness of God preached that Christians no longer fear him. That's why you have so much looseness and lackadaisicalness among Christians. And certainly sinners don't fear him anymore because they're just told of his goodness. The Bible says there are some people, sinners, you can't win with the goodness of God. And so the Bible says you must hold hell and God's judgment up in front of them. I tell you what, we need to have a healthy respect and a reverential fear of Almighty God. We should center in on that He's a good God and, and that He loves us. But we also need to understand there is a judgment side to Him. And we must maintain, at least I maintain, a fear of Almighty God. Christians anymore, when they approach Him, they slop up around Him and just... No, 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 no. When we approach God, I tell you what, it ought total and complete reverence. Did you hear what I just said? I said, did you hear what I just said? I tell you what, we ought to take coming to the house of God far more important every time we come than it would be taken if we were to approach the White House and the Oval Office. Did you hear what I just said? I said, did you hear what I just said? I said, did you hear what I just said? Why 
did I say all of what I just said? Because you see, Jesus, as he hung upon the cross, was going to take the judgment, the full unabated judgment that Adam, when Adam sinned, God said in the day, he said, of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. In dying, you will die. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal separation, eternal death in a place known as hell. That was Adam's punishment. And because we all came down from Adam and Eve, that punishment lay upon each and every human being that's ever been born. But Jesus came and stepped in for us. Oh, thank God that he did. And hung upon that cross. And the terror of Almighty God, the judgment of Almighty God, the sight of God that I am afraid of, that we should all be afraid of, that judgment of Almighty God, The terror of the Lord was laid upon Jesus on that old rugged cross. And he was stricken with the judgment that belonged to you and me. And he was cut off, Isaiah said, from the land of the living. Cut off from the land of the living. And Daniel said that Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. You see, he was not cut off from, for himself. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was tempted in all points like as we are, but yet without sin. The Bible says it was the just for the unjust. And he hung upon that cross as our substitute, taking our place, fulfilling the appointment that you and I had upon that cross. Glory to God. Glory be to God. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And Jesus took them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. And when you get right down to it, where you really fall in love with him, is when you realize from studying your Bible 
that he didn't have to do what he did. Because he had to do it. He did it because he loves us. As he stood there in the Garden of Gethsemane, having been betrayed by Judas Iscariot, now the Roman soldiers are there and the different ones are there to take him. Peter draws the sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus said, put your sword away, Peter. He said, if I wanted to right now, I could ask the Father and pray the Father. And he would send 12 legions, 80,000 angels would come. And stop this whole thing. You can see in the Old Testament what one angel can do. One angel would have been more than adequate to protect Jesus, but 80,000 warring angels. And all Jesus would have had to do was ask the Father. And that whole thing would have been stopped. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he loves us. Pilate, when Jesus was before him, said, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? But Jesus answered and said, you could have no power against me unless it had been given you from above. Jesus could have shut Pilate. Down right there. But he didn't do it. Jesus made the statement and he said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. When he was before Annas, when he was before Caiaphas, when he was before the Sanhedrin, when he was before Herod, before Pilate. At any time he could have prayed the father and the father would delivered would have delivered him. But he didn't do it because he loves us. As he stood there before the crowd. And they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Just think of it. He's standing there for their benefit. And yet they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus didn't have to do what he did for them. But he did. Have you ever done something nice for somebody? You didn't have to do it, but you just did it because you wanted to do something nice for them. Be nice if they said thank you. I've done nice things for people over the years and 
They didn't say thank you. In fact, it would have been nice if they'd have said nothing. But what's really bad is when you do something nice for people and then they go out and say bad stuff about you. I wonder if that's ever happened to anybody in here where you've done something nice for somebody and you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to go out of your way to help them. You didn't have to sacrifice for them. You didn't have to help them. You didn't have to. But you did just because you wanted to be nice and love them. I think you'd be nice. And even nothing be nice if you compare it to them going out and talking bad about you and trying to destroy you. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. He's standing there, going to be going to the cross for these people that are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. He didn't have to go through with it. He could have stopped it at any time. As he hangs upon the cross. And those smart aleck religious people are going by. and Said, you know, he saved others. But himself he cannot save. If he's the son of God, let him come down from the cross. And then we'll believe him. I don't think they would have believed him had he come down from the cross. One thing I've learned about people over these last many years. People are going to either believe or they're not. I said people are either going to believe or they're not. I had one lady stand in the entryway the one day and she said, Pastor, if you snap your finger and lightning hits in the parking lot, I'll believe. I said, no, you won't. You'd say it was coincidence. Think about where Jesus did all of his mighty miracles. The majority of those people didn't believe. Oh, if we could just see the miracles like in Jesus' day. I... I believe. Think about Moses' day. Think about Moses parting the Red Sea. Think about that. Did the Israelites believe? Did they? No, they're... Golden calf. Is that right? You're either going to serve God or you're not. Yeah, if you come down from the cross. He saved others himself. He cannot save. Could Jesus have come down from the cross if he'd have wanted to? Could he have stopped the whole thing if he'd have wanted to? Yeah. But he didn't. 
And then, I want to say one more thing to you about this. And this is where you really, really fall in love with him. Is that, and if you really get into it, and you really look at it, you look very closely at the book of Psalms and Hebrews refers to it. Certainly, argument can be made that God the Father assigned this to Jesus, but actually, you need to dig a little deeper and you'll see that it really wasn't so much an assignment from the Heavenly Father. Although the Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, and certainly he did, his only begotten son. But when you really get into it, look at it, Jesus volunteered for the mission Before the foundation of the world. It's a kind of love I guess I just can't fully understand, but he volunteered. He volunteered. The book of Hebrews says of Jesus, seeing that the Father was not satisfied with the blood of the bulls and the goats and the animals, said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You have prepared a body for me, and lo, I come to do your will, O God. And Jesus volunteered to come and do what he did for us. I think of that movie that came out sometime in the past. It was called The Hunger Games. I don't know that much about it, but it came on television and Pastor Diane said, why don't we watch this? And we sat and we watched it and I got intrigued with it as we sat there and watched. What it was, it was uh, throughout the countryside, they would have like a draft system and different... People like ages 13 to 22 or whatever it is, I don't know, something like that would be drafted and they'd be sent into these games. And they were games where the people that got into these games would be devoured and destroyed and killed and no one would come out alive except for one. And the main character of this movie, her name was Katniss. And she was a warrior. And her name was in the till, I believe, to be drafted along with all the others. But yet as the tumbler turned and the name came out, it was her little sister was chosen. To go into these diabolical games. And Katniss knowing that her little sister would be devoured and destroyed and would have no chance of making it out alive. 
is they call her little sister's name and her sister stands up and begins, this little girl begins to walk up because she's going to have to be facing other people who are warriors and mighty and mean and all of that. And this little girl was going to stand no chance. I remember as she walked forward, somebody in the crowd raised their hand and cried out and said, no, no, don't take her. Take me. I volunteer. And she stepped up on behalf of her little sister and went and fought the battle. And her little sister didn't have to go. And so in the ages that has gone by, the tumblers have turned and Adam sinned and the judgment of God fell upon all of us. And in the timeless ages past, as God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost looked and saw that mankind was going to have to go through the punishment of Almighty God, was going to have to face the wrath of Almighty God, was going to have to face the terror of Almighty God. Something that mankind, frail as we are, in our fallen state would not be able to endure. Knowing that we'd have no chance, and knowing that we'd be destined for a devil's hell, There was one who stood up and raised his hand and said, I'll go for them. I'll go for them. I'll take their place. A mighty warrior came forth, glory to God, and volunteered and said, Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me to come and do your will, O God. And he stepped forward, and glory to God, he came out of eternity, and he took on human form, and he was born of a virgin, and he walked the Sea of Galilee and the shores of the Sea of Galilee, tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. And then came that day that he approached that old rugged cross. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. He volunteered in the eons of the days gone by. And he came forth that mighty warrior in that hour and in that time. And he took the punishment of Almighty God. And he died upon that cross. And the Bible says he descended into hell. And he suffered there. And on the third day, glory to God, the power of God came into the regions of the dune and by the power of Almighty God, He said, let all the angels of God worship Him. Glory to God. You are my Son this day. Have I regenerated Thee? Glory to God. And the power of God hit Him and He was raised from spiritual death. Glory to God. Walked across the great divide. Came over into Abraham's bosom. Had a praise service. And then came up into His body. And His body was resurrected. And glory to God. He came out of the tomb. And he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Glory to God. He faced the wrath of God. He faced the power of the devil. And bless God, he came for the mighty warrior. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
My God, there's enough power in that to drive cancer out. There's enough power in that to drive sickness out. There's enough power in that to drive disease out. There's enough power in that to drive depression out. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo! There's enough power in that to take care of anything you need. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! Woo! Feel the anointing on it. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I wonder, God, will there ever be a shout again among your people? Will there ever be a shout again among your people? Will they ever shout for for what's really important? Oh, will there ever be a shout again among the people of God? Will there ever be a shout again among the people of God? Are they going to just shout for entertainment? Are they, are they going to shout for something important like the death of Jesus?